Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same to Bi- at this same time to Bible Crossfire. I was just thinking about Matthew 15 verse 9, where Jesus said, "But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men." Now, instead of teaching the commandments of men, we should be teaching the commandments of God. But this is if we teach the commandments of men something different than what the Bible says, our worship will be in vain, meaning useless or worthless. And we certainly can't be saved that way. So we need to be so careful about what we believe and teach in religion. Because if we believe and teach and practice the commandments of men, then we're going to be in trouble with God. 2 plus 2 cannot equal 4 and 5 at the same time. So when somebody teaches one thing about baptism, for example, and somebody teaches something else about baptism... They both can't be right. One of them has to be a commandment of men. Matthew from Texas, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hello. What I called you about earlier, uh, the Bible it's not outdated because it's our rule book to get to heaven. Do you have any comments about that? You know, it certainly is our rule book to get to heaven. The Bible is. For example, Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, he says, and a lot of people claim to be Jesus' disciple, but they all believe and teach different things. He says, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So a true disciple, Matthew, is somebody who continues in Jesus' word. It says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So only the truth will make us free from sin. And Matthew, you know, John seventeen seventeen, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So God's word defines for us what the truth is, and we can only be in a right relationship with God and be set free from our sins if we're continuing in the truth. So we have to continue in the truth, continue in God's word. That means the Bible needs to be our rule book, our guidebook in religion, doesn't it, Matthew? Yes. Matthew, I appreciate Thank you call. For- you're welcome. Have a good night. Thank you, You know, Matthew brings up a good point. A lot of people will say, in effect, they may say it in that very way, but they'll say, in effect, well, the Bible's out of date. Many today claim to believe in the Bible, for example, but they, they think of it as most of it as being out of date. For example, I've heard some say that we ought to switch the elements of the Lord's Supper to fried chicken and Coke. Even though passages like Matthew 26, 26 through 29 clearly show that bread and fruit of the vine ought to be used in the Lord's Supper, but they say fried chicken and Coke would fit in more with our times today. Well, maybe it would fit in more with our times, but it's not doing what the Bible says. But believe it or not, people think we ought to change the Lord's Supper to fried chicken and Coke. They really think the Bible, when the Bible says use bread and fruit of the vine, they really think the Bible is out of date that we ought to update the Bible, the things that make more sense in our day and time. However, the Bible represents its instruction as being permanent, not something that changes with culture. Psalms 33:11 says, and I quote, "...the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations." So God's counsel doesn't change with culture. It stands forever. It's to all generations. It's not something that's going to change and become outdated, for example. If you have a Bible question or comment, 
you want to get on the air and ask a question or comment, feel free to do so. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, feel free to call us. The lines are wide open. number to call is 877-655-6755. You know, this same Bible out-of-date reasoning is what the gay church uses to justify gay marriage. Here's a quote from them about how they justify gay marriage and how it, of course, contradicts the Bible as we know. They say about the Bible's condemnation of homosexuality, they say, these are just a few of the biblical views that are totally different from the way we see things today. Become familiar with the cultural setting of the Bible. See, they're talking about homosexuality here, but, of course, they're saying it's just one of a few things where the biblical views are totally different from the way we see things today. Well, the Bible, of course, says homosexuality is wrong, but we don't see it that way today. Now, of course, we're not talking about atheists. Of course, atheists don't see it that way, but we're talking about a church. We're talking about people who claim to be Christians, and they say, I know that's what the Bible says, but that's different than the way we see it today. You see, they're in effect saying that the Bible is out of date, that it used to teach homosexuality is wrong, <laughs> But not, but but we see things differently today. We don't have to follow the Bible because uh, that stuff that the, that's in the Bible is just out of date. That was good for their times, but it's not good for our times. That's in effect what they're saying. Kevin from North Carolina, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I was wondering. I was listening to someone the other day who I I know to be a, a scriptural teacher, and I respect him, and he seemed to imply that. God doesn't know everything, and that as events of life unfold, that God is, is to some degree watching them unfold with us. Do you think, you think that's correct? Well, um, you know, sometimes God does change his mind about things. For example, uh, Kevin, you may remember in Genesis 6, this is leading up to the flood, it says in verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And verse 6 says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. So sometimes God changes his mind about things. But I don't necessarily think that means that God didn't know that the people were going to be wicked. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, I agree. As a matter of fact, that was the exact verse that the gentleman was talking about when he made the comment. He was explaining how repentance doesn't mean what we sometimes think it does. But he, he did seem to imply that God can allow himself to not know what decisions we're going to make and that God can be surprised. And I didn't that didn't seem to me to be correct. You know, there's, there is a verse that makes me think that's possibly true. And I'm not 100% sure of this. But you remember the story, Kevin, in Genesis 22 of God asking Abraham to offer his son Isaac on the cross, not on the cross, but as a burnt sacrifice? Yeah, sure. When when Abraham pulled the knife up, ready to stab his son to sacrifice him, and then the angel of the Lord stopped him, here's what verse 12 says. Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. You know, it seems sort of indicates that maybe he did not know before that, but, you know, maybe he knew what Abraham would do, but he wanted to see it for himself in action. 
God doesn't just judge us based upon our heart. That's very important to judge us upon our heart. That is true. But he also wants to judge us based upon our actions. You know, he wants to see what we're going to do. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and it's obviously talking about the judgment day because it, it's, it mentions the judgment seat of Christ. But chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So God, of course, knows what's in our hearts and judges us based upon that, but he also wants to see how that plays out in our actions. That's very important. And that's, this verse says he's going to judge us based upon those actions. Got any follow-up thoughts, Kevin? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking, you know, God is all-powerful and all-knowing. I suppose it's a bit of a philosophical question, but if he wanted to, he could allow himself to be surprised. Yeah, he could if he wanted to. Couldn't he choose not to know something if he wanted to? Right. Yeah, we shouldn't try to limit God and say, God, I don't like that. I'm not going to let you be that way. You know, if God wants to limit himself, as you say, Kevin, and he wants wants to choose to not know something, not that he couldn't know it. He could know right. it, but he chooses right. not to know it for some particular reason. Who am I to say that I'm not going to allow him to do that? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, amen. Thanks a lot for your time, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. Consider, really Genesis 20, consider Genesis 22, verse 12. Go back and think about it, Kevin, and maybe we can talk about it further. Uh, maybe you could go oh. to my website, uh, the website for this program, BibleCrossfire.com, and send me an email. Tell me what you think about that verse after thinking about it, Kevin. All right, I'll do that. Thanks again, man. God All bless. Right. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that call by Kevin. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. So the gay church is saying, well, we know the Bible teaches against homosexuality, but we see it differently that way. In other words, they're not going to pay attention to the Bible because they think that the Bible was only good for back then and is not good for us today. But, you know, the Bible doesn't just teach that homosexuality is a sin. It also teaches it's unnatural. Let me read Romans 1, 26 and 27. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was made. So that passage not only teaches that homosexuality is a sin, but that it's unnatural. It says that basically three times. And when something is not natural, if it's natural or not, it's not going to change. What, what I think it's talking about here, with, without getting too blunt, when it says it's unnatural, uh, I think you could tell that homosexuality is wrong even if you didn't have the Bible. You could just look at the anatomy of a male and female and understand how marital relations are supposed to work, just by looking at the anatomy. So the anatomy of a male and female tells you that homosexuality is wrong. It's unnatural. It's not natural. It's, nobody is born a homosexual. They one time claimed they, they thought they were going to find a, a gay gene. They never did find it. There's all kinds of scientific evidence that there is no such thing as a gay gene. And the Bible teaches that people who are acting this way are acting unnaturally. They're not born this way. It's a sinful choice. And so when something is unnatural or natural, it doesn't change. So, so it's not really correct. It's not correct to say, well, the, I know the Bible said 
homosexuality was sin back then, but things have changed. No, things have not changed. Male and female still the same way. They still look the same. They have the same anatomy. It still works the same way. You still do this. Reproduction still works the same way. Nothing's changed. That's just somebody trying to justify their sin. It's all just wishful thinking. <laughs> we want this to be okay because we want to practice this sin. We want it to be this way. We know the Bible says that it's wrong, so we're just going to dismiss the Bible and say the Bible is out of date. That Well, we understand the Bible condemned it back then, but we see things differently today. They see things differently today because they're refusing to submit themselves to the authority of God. They're so intent on committing their sin and fulfilling their unnatural sexual desires that they refuse to accept what God said about it. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. And isn't the justification for women preachers done the same way? I've had a number of debates on homosexuality, women preachers, and the main way both of those things are argued for is not we're going to try to prove to you that it's okay to have women preachers by the Bible, but what they say is we know the Bible says that it's wrong, but that's out of date. The Bible is out of date on that. Things have changed. Our society is differently. That's the most, the normal way that people try to rationalize it. They say, for example, something like this. Yes, we know women preachers were condemned in the New Testament, but the culture was different back then. Times have changed. It is okay to have women pre preachers today to be in accord with the norms of our society. Frank from Georgia, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, this is a slightly different topic from tonight, but I was thinking about some things said earlier about baptism, and I'm familiar with uh, Acts 22, 16, where Ananias told Paul to get up and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on Jesus' name. I was reading that in chapter 9. I noticed, though, that before being baptized, uh, Paul was uh, spoken to by Ananias. I mean, first the Lord told uh, Ananias that uh, Paul or Saul was already a servant, and then Ananias addressed uh, Saul or Paul as Brother Saul. I was wondering, is it possible that uh, Paul was already saved before being baptized? Well, the fact that he's called uh, Brother Saul uh, wouldn't necessarily prove that he's that he's a Christian. For example, and that's a very good question, though, Frank. I appreciate that. For example, in Acts 3, verse 17, Paul is mm -hmm. preaching. In verse 17, he says, And now, brethren, I what that through ignorance you did it, as did also your ruler. So he's call, calling these people he's preaching to. And we have a number of examples like this. Brethren. Uh -huh. But then he says to these same people in verse 30, 19, two verses later, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So he's telling them they need to repent and be converted so they can get their sins forgiven, blotted out. Yeah. So obviously they weren't Christians. They weren't forgiven of their sins before that. Am I right? Frank? Uh, you're right. Yeah, but he calls them brethren before that. And here's, here's what's going on here. He's calling them brethren in Acts 3, verse 17, in the sense that they're brethren 
in the same race. We do that today, especially African Americans. Don't they call each other brother a lot? Huh? Yeah, yeah, they're Jewish Jewish brethren. Just like, yeah, the African Americans and and the white Caucasians do it too, but especially the African Americans, they'll call each other brother simply because they're of the same race. They're not trying to say one's necessarily a Christian or not, and that's what he's doing in Acts three seventeen. He's a he's talking about his brethren in the Jewish race, and they're obviously not converted yet. He calls them brethren, but he says, "Repent ye therefore, be therefore and be converted." Now, so when he calls, Ananias calls Saul, brother Saul, they're both Jews. So he's calling him brother in the sense that he's a fellow Jew of the same race. And we know that, Frank. How do we know that he's not calling him brother in the sense that he's a forgiven Christian? How do we know that? Um, well, it, that, that was based on the verse you already re- referenced? In Acts well, it could 16, be that he says, still had to had to be baptized and wash away his sins. Yeah, that, yeah, that verse you already mentioned, Acts twenty two sixteen. He says, "And now, why tarriest thou?" Now, down south, you from Georgia, Frank, as, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> down south, we wouldn't say "Why tarriest thou." We would say "What you waiting on?" Wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. We don't talk that way. He says, "Why tarriest thou?" And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So obviously. Saul's sins weren't washed away previous to this because Ananias is telling him to get baptized to get his sins washed away. Am I right, Frank? That's true. Yeah, so when he calls him brother before that, he must be calling him brother in the same sense that we saw in Acts 3.17. And we see that a number of places in the book of Acts and elsewhere. He's calling him brother in the sense that he's of the same race, the same Jewish race. Not that he's a Christian, but he's of the same race. Frank, we're all agreed that it's, it's, there's nothing magical in the water. We're, we're not saying that. The blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. Frank, the question is when does it wash away our sins? To think about Saul. He believed mm-hmm. in Jesus on the road to Damascus. We, everybody agrees that he believed in Jesus on the road to Damascus. But three days later, he's told to do something to get his sins washed away. So, Frank, were his sins washed away when he believed three days earlier? Well, it doesn't seem so. (laughs) No. His sins were washed away by the blood of Christ. That's important. By the blood of Christ. Not when he believed, but when he was baptized. It's just like Jesus said. Both of those things are required. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So it takes both, according to Jesus himself. And we see it in the conversion of Saul also. You got okay. any, anything to follow up with that? On, well, right? one related question that I don't, don't want to hold you up. Also, in Acts 9, uh, God told Ananias that uh, Paul or Saul was a chosen servant. Was he just speaking prophetically at that point? No. He was chosen even before he became a Christian. You know, he was chosen to take the gospel to the Gentiles even before he became a believer. You know what I mean? God Uh chose Saul even before he became a believer, even before Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. God had already chosen him, and that's why the Lord appeared to him. They knew how he was going to respond, obviously. He was a sincere Jew. He always did what he thought was right. Everything he did according to his conscience, Acts 23, verse 1, God chose him even before he became a believer. So that wouldn't prove that he was saved before he was baptized because he was chosen even before he became a believer in Christ. You know what I'm saying, Frank? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. 
Frank, we appreciate your call, and uh, and well, maybe we can you. talk further off the air about this, okay? Well, thank you for your program, and thank you for your answers. Yeah, thank you for your okay. call again. All right. And if yeah. somebody has a Bible question or comment, please call us, 877-655-6755. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, our number to call is 877-655-6755. So we were talking about, is the Bible out of date? And people saying, well, gay marriage, women preachers, they're okay because they were condemned in Bible times. But things are different today. But First Timothy 2, 11 and 12 would, would talk about this practice of women preachers. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not or allow not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man but to be in silence clearly showing that women should not preach in the church assembly and teach over men in any circumstance. But notice the next verse gives the reason for the instruction in 1 Timothy 2. It says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And so since the prohibition against women preachers is based upon creation, Adam was first formed, then Eve, and since the facts of creation don't change, then that would prove Neither does God's instruction against women preachers. Do you see that? When Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, a woman is not to teach nor usurp authority over the man, he says the reason is Adam was first formed in Eve. That hadn't changed. It's not going to change. And so his instruction limiting the role of women not to say, in this case we're talking about preaching in the church assembly, that's not going to change either because the facts of creation do not change, and that's given as the reason for the instruction. Robert from California, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. Um, uh, you were talking about uh, just a minute ago, Paul from Damascus, how uh, he was his sins were only washed away uh, uh, days later when he got baptized. Uh, but even though he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, my question is: is if he would have died between that time? Uh, of of being uh, of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and getting baptized, would he have gone to hell, or would he still have been saved? Robert, in Revelation twenty one verse twenty seven, it says, "And there shall in no wise enter into it." Talk about heaven. Anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. So since Saul's sins were not washed away until he was baptized, Robert. And since a person can't enter into heaven, based upon this verse, can't enter into heaven unless his sins are forgiven, that's right. He would be lost if he's, if his sins aren't washed away. If he's still in his sins, wouldn't that mean he's lost and can't go to heaven, Robert? Well, I guess if you look at it that way, but my my second follow-up question to that is just, just the basic verse of John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's just in that one verse right there, it seems as if, like, just the fact that you're believing upon Jesus Christ and trusting in him that, that you will not perish. Uh, you know, I believe well, that you maybe have to build, cleanse, cleanse yourself of your sins and, and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's just, it kind of seems like a conflict there. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, Robert. Do you believe a person has to repent of their sins to go to heaven? I I, I believe that uh, – I believe in John 3.16. Uh, and I believe that if you do believe – I believe as a Christian that you – as a Christian, if you are a Christian, you want to definitely do that. 
Uh, you want to try to strive to be the best that you can be uh, and strive to, to do everything right, uh, and that would be including repenting of your sins. But for your salvation, uh, I, I was under the impression that it's a, is that you're truly... Robert, truly I'm going to have to go off the air. In, okay. I'm going to have to go off the air in less than a minute. But Jesus said in oh. Luke 13, verse 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So you do have to repent to be saved. John 3.16, though, doesn't mention repentance. So obviously, John 3.16 is not telling us everything that we have to do to be saved. Jesus gives a more complete picture in Mark 16.16 16, when he says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So John 3.16, it doesn't teach all you got to do is believe to be saved. No, it does teach you have to believe to be saved. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So it takes both. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 